Good morning. I'm going to begin uh, the message this morning by reading our scripture passage, which is Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. Well, good morning. Our study this morning of Psalm 146 brings to a close our summer series in the ancient songbook of Israel, the very same songbook that Jesus himself would have used to praise and worship the Father. In fact, Jesus quotes more from the Psalms than from any other book in the Hebrew Scriptures, including in his most difficult moments, such as on the cross. I hope, like me, this series has provoked you to spend a little more time in the Psalms. Tom Wright, the theologian and former Bishop of Durham, encourages the Church and all Christians in his book, The Case for the Psalms, to discover again the richness of these poems and actively use the Psalms as part of our daily worship. I think there is much wisdom in this advice, and I personally want to commit to spending more time in the Psalms this term. Last week, Tim mentioned reading schemes to help guide us through our daily Bible readings, and I know he wishes to challenge all of us to spend more time in God's word over the coming months. Tom Wright makes a remarkably straightforward suggestion, which almost qualifies as a reading scheme. Read five psalms a day, and in one month you will have read the whole book. This is a challenge I intend to undertake throughout September. If you feel a little dry or want to rediscover your zest for worship, you might want to consider doing something similar. Psalm 146 is one of the five final psalms in the Bible. They are commonly referred to as Alleluia Psalms. You will notice that each psalm begins and ends with the word Alleluia, often translated as praise the Lord. In Hebrew, Hallel means praise and Yah is a shortened form of the name of God, Yahweh. It makes sense to me then to spend some time this morning reflecting on what this psalm and its companions might be able to teach us about being people of praise or worshippers. It seems as relevant as ever for us to consider together who we choose to praise, how we choose to praise and why we choose to praise. Alleluia isn't just a throwaway word of celebration, it's a statement of intent. Firstly, who we choose to praise. 
We all choose who we praise throughout our lives, and there are plenty of candidates vying for our attention. I think Psalm 146 has some guidance for us about where we place our praises and why we choose to direct our praise towards the God of Jacob. The word Alleluia is very specific. Yahweh is the name God gives to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 when asked how Moses should refer to him. It is the holy name of the one true God, the God of Jacob. The word Alleluia therefore is both a statement of praise and a precise definition of where that praise is being directed. The translation praise the Lord doesn't always capture the precise nature of Hallelujah. This is no loose religious term. This is a specifically targeted statement of praise towards Yahweh, the God of Israel. Hallelujah, therefore, is a choice. In fact, the poem sets up a deliberate structural contrast to emphasise the idea that we have a clear choice about who we praise. There is a lovely positive and negative contrast in verses two and three. The definitive statement of the psalmist in line two, I will praise the Lord all my life, is held against the negative statement in line three, do not put your trust in princes. I wonder who the audience of this second statement is supposed to be. Who is the psalmist speaking to? Given that the psalm begins in the first person, praise the Lord, my soul, it is reasonable to suggest that the psalmist is reminding himself of the folly of choosing earthly princes for his praise, as well as the gathered assembly or the other worshippers that he's singing to. He knows, like we all do, that it is easy to become distracted by earthly princes and find ourselves praising them instead of Yahweh. And so he warns himself to remain focused in his praise throughout his whole life. The parallelism in the poem also serves to draw out the foolishness of directing praise at earthly princes. When it comes to those worthy of our praises, there is no contest when earthly princes are held up against the God of Jacob. The psalmist goes on to spell out the reason why earthly princes are not worthy of our praises. They are just human beings. They cannot save. They are also mortal. Ultimately, their great power and wealth comes to nothing compared to the glory and faithfulness of the Almighty, who reigns for all generations. The psalmist reminds us that the Lord is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. And unlike the princes, the Lord remains faithful forever. The way this poem is structured underlines the massive contrast between even the greatest of human leaders and Yahweh. There is no comparison. Why would you choose to praise anyone other than Yahweh seems to be the central rhetorical question of this psalm. What does this psalm have to say to us about the focus of our praise in our modern world? I'd like to suggest that just as Israel were often surrounded by princes of neighbouring kingdoms, we too are surrounded by such figures in our modern world, even in our democracies. Every day we are faced with princes of economics, princes of politics, princes of television, princes of 
social media, princes of sports, and dare I say it, princes of religion. There are plenty of people around who might draw from us our praises, and some of them are very powerful and very charismatic. The psalmist in 146 makes the definitive statement in line two that we are all called to make in the face of these other distractions. I will praise the Lord all my life. It is a statement that recognises that there is no one else worthy of our praises and there never will be. If God is who he says he is, there is no other response. If you're thinking this morning that you haven't yet committed yourself to a life of praise of the God of heaven and earth, I invite you to consider whether today might be the day to begin. You will find no other worthy of your praises. Secondly, what does this wonderful psalm have to say to us about how we praise? You will notice that the psalm begins with the phrase, praise the Lord, my soul. There is an immediate recognition that praising is a disciplined spiritual act. It is an action of our souls. It is no mere intellectual activity. It's not a disembodied affair either, by the way. You don't have to look far into the remaining Alleluia Psalms to find tambourines and dancing. Indeed, the book of Psalms ends with the statement, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Nevertheless, praise is a deeply spiritual process. I'm sure many of us here will have experienced times when our souls feel heavy, burdened, not attuned to praise. We just don't feel up for it. This, of course, is when we need to have a discipline of praise. How often do we take a moment to encourage or demand our souls to praise? It can be easy to stumble into a place of praise without taking time to prepare our souls. And I would suggest this morning that we should not approach God's throne in such a way. We should learn from this psalm. What a brilliant prayer to pray before any act of praise and worship. Praise the Lord, my soul. This psalm also suggests that our praise should not be seasonal or directed by circumstance. The psalm makes it emphatically clear in line two the nature of the praise that's required. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. What a powerful statement and certainly no less than Yahweh deserves. We are mortal, but committing ourselves to a lifetime of personal praise is the greatest act of worship we can offer. There's a longevity of praise in this psalm. The psalmist is taking a long view of praise, understanding that this is the only way that we can join with the eternal song of creation during our lifetimes. Our praises help to give our short lives eternal shape. Living lives of praise is how we join the images that we find in Revelation 19, the threefold Alleluia, in which we proclaim Alleluia for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Or, as Paul puts it in the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 13, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Finally, why we praise. We've already touched on a key idea in this psalm, because God is the only one worthy of our praises. There is no contest, no other meaningful choice. The psalmist, though, takes time in his poem to illustrate some of God's characteristics and behaviours, that should lead us to a place of praise, even though the fact that he is the maker of heaven and earth is clearly enough. 
The psalm celebrates and praises God for his wonderful qualities, all of which we dearly lack in our fallen world. In God's kingdom, all injustices are set straight. The oppressed are held up, the hungry are fed, the prisoners are free, the blind have sight. The Lord loves and lifts up the humble and righteous and frustrates the wicked. In his kingdom, the fatherless and the widow and the outcast are sustained and protected. This isn't a naive vision of our world. It's a statement about the way that God does justice. And it stands in stark contrast to the world that we inhabit. Praise, therefore, is an act of faith. It's an acknowledgement that our fallen world often exists in stark contrast with the kingdom of God. We do not need to look far to see the reality of the way that this world works, with its many princes who seek to build their own militaristic kingdoms or exploitative enterprises. Earthly princes oppress and blind and subjugate and deprive. As people of praise, we say that God does things differently. The psalmist here sang of a vision of a more just kingdom in which the first are last and the last first. He describes in faith what the world would be like if God was king. And in doing so, he paints a picture of a kingdom that would not begin to manifest until God himself stepped into our world to become the king of kings and the prince of peace. Indeed, on reading the list of God's just works, we cannot fail to see an image of the ministry of Jesus, the one who opened the eyes of the blind, set the oppressed free, loved the widow and the fatherless, exalted the humble and brought low the earthly princes of his day. You might notice the parallel here with Isaiah 61, which Jesus himself references in Luke 4, as he begins to reveal the truth of who he is to his followers. Our conclusion, of course, is that Jesus is Yahweh, the God of Jacob, who is from everlasting to everlasting and has come to establish his kingdom on this earth, both now and in the time to come. Every time we sing his praises, we are stating in faith that the kingdom that Jesus established through his life, death and resurrection is breaking through now, through us, and will reveal itself in its fullness in the time to come. True praise, therefore, is prophetic in nature. It joins with all creation to proclaim the kingdom of Jesus, Yahweh, which, like the psalmist, we see in part now, but look with eyes of faith to the time when it is fully manifest in this world. There will be a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. My challenge this morning is to choose carefully who you praise, how you praise and why you praise. We take seriously the words of this wonderful poem and we know who God is revealed in Jesus. There is no choice. And so let us ask our souls to praise the Lord. Alleluia, both now and for the rest of our days, for he alone is worthy of our praises. Amen.